Due to the dark nature of the object discussed within this episode, listener discretion is advised. Utsi the Iceman reportedly fatally cursed all who sought to benefit from his story. Consider yourself forewarned. In September 1991, a married couple named Helmut and Erika Simon hiked up a challenging mountain trail in the Utztal Alps on the Italian-Austrian border. They marveled at the ancient Similaun Glacier, which lay between two peaks in the Tyrolean Utz Valley. In an extremely remote area, 10,500 feet above sea level, the couple decided to stray from the trail. Perhaps they wanted to walk in an area where no human had ever set foot before, or so they thought. Up ahead, an unfamiliar sight stopped them in their tracks. They couldn't tell what they were looking at, but instinct told them that something wasn't right. Even in the icy air, the hair stood up all over their bodies. As they approached, they realized they'd stumbled upon something truly gruesome. There was the upper section of a human torso protruding from the snow. The mottled dark skin and skeletal remains left no question. Whoever it was, they'd been dead a long time. But there was no way the Simons could have guessed just how long. There's no way they could know that they had just discovered the oldest complete human remains on Earth. Worse, they'd allegedly just awakened an ancient curse. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. In today's special one-part episode, we're covering Utsi the Iceman, a hunter who lived over 5,000 years ago. The thin mountain air and consistently low temperatures in the Alps helped turn his remains into a remarkable, naturally preserved mummy. Utsi offers us a rare glimpse into our own ancient history, but those discoveries came at an unexpected price. Some suspect that unearthing Utsi activated an ancient curse. As a result, many who came into contact with the mummy paid a steep and sometimes deadly price. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. 
Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. In September 1991, Helmut and Erica Simon stumbled upon grisly remains on a remote peak in the Alps. No one had any idea just how important and dangerous this discovery would be. When pathologists arrived on the ridge, they expected to recover the corpse of one of the many hikers who'd lost their way in the Alps. But they quickly realized that this body wasn't typical. The decomposition was minimal. The skin and flesh were partially intact and appeared freeze-dried. The hands and feet, extremities normally susceptible to decay, were still whole. Even the eyeballs remained in their sockets. It was like the victim had just died. But these weren't the remains of a modern human. As soon as the corpse entered the lab, experts determined it had been on the mountain for more than 5,000 years. It was the oldest completely intact mummy in the world. Experts began referring to him as Utzi, after the Tyrolean Utz Valley, where he was found. The crucial evidence scientists collected from Utzi changed our understanding of how humans lived around 3300 BCE. This single mummy reshaped the modern historical record. For instance, a copper axe found beside Utzi's body showed that his high alpine-based people had learned how to smelt metal over 1,000 years earlier than scholars had previously thought. Utzi's possessions and the food preserved in his digestive tract led to another significant finding. Utzi was a hunter but lived within a farming community. That unique relationship between hunters and farmers provided a window into the time when humans shifted from a nomadic tracking lifestyle to stationary agriculture. To make these new discoveries, scientists thawed Utzi's body for the first time in thousands of years. Then, radiologists put him through a full-body X-ray machine and a CT scan. Finally, pathologists cut open flaps of skin so they could remove samples from organs. These professionals all viewed their work as important, a way to enrich humanity's knowledge of its history. But from Utsi's point of view, each one of those experts was desecrating his remains. As the researchers probed and sawed and extracted, some think an invisible but deadly scourge circulated among them. The scientists didn't realize they could be in danger. No one realized it until it was too late. It appears the pathologists ignited Utzi's wrath the moment they disturbed him. To explore how, let's go back to right after his discovery. 
After the Simons uncovered Utsi's corpse, a team of experts swarmed the mountain to retrieve the remains. A forensic pathologist named Dr. Reiner Hen accompanied them. Once they managed to free Utsi's body from the ice, Dr. Hen had the honor of lifting the entire corpse. With his bare hands, Dr. Hen placed the precious specimen into a body bag. In the lab, Dr. Hen remained at Utsi's side, heading up the first team that examined his body. As a result, Dr. Hen made some of the earliest hypotheses about Utsi's background. Then, in 1992, about a year after excavating the Iceman, Dr. Hen climbed into his car and pulled away from his home. He was probably excited as he accelerated down the motorway. He was on his way to a conference to share his findings with the world, but he never arrived. Dr. Hen suffered a catastrophic car accident. He died at age 64. And he wasn't the only member of his team to meet an untimely end. Alpine guide Kurt Fritz led experts, including Dr. Hen, to Utsi's body. He also coordinated the removal of Utsi's remains from the mountainside. In 1993, Fritz, then 52, joined another mountaineering expedition. However, an unexpected avalanche surprised the party, and Fritz didn't survive. Journalist Reiner Holzel was yet another person who was present when experts pried Utsi from the ice. Holzel captured the entire operation on camera and edited the footage into a documentary that aired on Austrian state television. But soon after completing the film, Holzel died from a brain tumor. In October of 2004, tragedy struck again. Helmut Simon, one of the German hikers who'd first found Utzi's body, returned to the Alps. He was attempting an ambitious hike up Gamskarkugel, a mountain with an 8,000-foot-high peak. He never returned. After searching for eight days, first responders finally located Simon's body, frozen at the bottom of a cliff. The 67-year-old had died from the impact of the 300-foot fall. As the rescuers recovered Simon's remains, they noticed an eerie coincidence. They were about 100 miles from where Simon and his wife had discovered Utsi. Unfortunately for the rescuers, finding Simon's body was enough to expose them to Utsi's wrath. Tragedy next struck Dieter Varnica. He had helped retrieve Simon's body from his icy grave, even going as far as attending his later funeral. However, just a few hours after Simon's wake, Varnica suffered a sudden fatal heart attack. Up until that moment, 45-year-old Varnica had an active lifestyle and presumably enjoyed good health. Despite all that, his heart just gave out without warning. After Varnica and Simon passed away in such quick succession, journalists began to piece together the pattern. By this point, five deaths had been linked to Utsi. Soon afterward, the first mentions of a curse appeared in print. But the scientists who studied the ancient body brushed off the idea of an ancient malevolent force. For example, Professor Conrad Spindler enjoyed international acclaim for his work with the mummy. He oversaw many of the archaeological studies on Utsi at Innsbruck University. Some even referred to him as the foremost expert on the Iceman. 
Spindler had heard the rumors about a hex, but he never let them impede his work. He wrote it off as a salacious gossip invented by the media. When the Independent asked Spindler about the curse, he said he'd probably be named as the next victim. Unfortunately, the prediction made in jest came true. Spindler died in April 2005 at age 66 from complications stemming from multiple sclerosis. The curse took its final victim just six months later. Molecular archaeologist Dr. Tom Loy served as Director of Archaeological Sciences at Australia's University of Queensland. He'd also examined Utsi's clothing and ran tests on his blood. But in October 2005, authorities discovered Dr. Loy dead in his home at 63. They couldn't determine a cause of death. Investigators conducted an inquest to determine exactly what had happened to Dr. Loy. They were able to eliminate the possibility of foul play, but that's about as far as the police got in terms of answers. Ultimately, the dearth of information forced them to rule the cause of death inconclusive. Even today, it's unclear to the public as to whether Dr. Loy died of natural causes, an accident, or some combination of both. And in the end, it may not really matter to those who believe the mummy is responsible. An inquest can't determine a death by curse. Coming up, what Utsi's life reveals about why his remains might carry a lethal scourge. Harcasters, you know the world can be chaotic and unpredictable, but how far would you go to turn the tides of favor in your direction? In the newest Spotify original from Parcast, we're taking a closer look at bad omens, good luck charms, and age-old traditions that just might have the power to change our fates. Each episode of Superstitions presents a new drama that unpacks a different belief. Can holding your breath while passing a cemetery save your life? Will carrying a rabbit's foot bring you luck? How can you go through life always avoiding the number 13? And why should you try? They may seem mystical, unusual, completely illogical. But one thing is certain. You ignore them at your own risk. You can find and follow Superstitions free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. To hear more ParCast shows, search ParCast Network in Spotify's search bar and find a growing slate of thrilling new series to enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. In 1991, hikers discovered a naturally preserved mummy named Utsi. The findings were a boon to researchers hoping to learn more about the ancient world. However, seven of the men with connections to Utsi died in what some saw as relatively quick succession. The string of deaths suggested a chewing conclusion. The Iceman's ancient remains 
carried a deadly curse. The pattern is clear, but it's harder to determine why Utsi would bring death to those who studied him. Perhaps the answer lies in the way he died. What follows is a recreation of one possible version of Utsi's final hours alive, based on recent research conducted on the mummy. About 5,000 years ago, Utsi trudged through the heavy snow high up in the Alps. These craggy mountain peaks were his backyard. Utsi was in his mid-40s and only stood about 5 feet 2 inches tall, but his constant travel over the steep range had strengthened his legs. He wore intricate shoes made of grass, animal skin, and woven cords to protect his feet from the snow. He also carried several weapons, including a bow and a quiver of arrows, a stone knife, and a copper axe. These tools were key to his job as a hunter. That role was a specialty position in Utsi's unique hybrid community. In the valley below, his people had forged one of history's earliest alliances between hunters and farmers. At first, it seemed like farming would bring Utsi and his people more security. They wouldn't have to constantly move to chase down the migrating alpine ibex, the native bighorn goat that Utsi's people ate. But that stable lifestyle had brought an unintended consequence, conflict with the neighboring peoples. Early humans probably always fought over territory, but the farming communities that settled in a single area were especially vulnerable. Their abundant resources and predictable location made them an easy target. So now, when Utsi hunted, he kept an extra eye out for enemies. Even though he ranged over a wide area tracking animals, he had to take the same path back to the valley base camp every night. That repeated route left him exposed to rivals. And today, Utsi suspected that some of them tailed him. He was right. A breaking twig confirmed that someone was following him. Before Utsi could notch an arrow in his bow, an assailant leaped out from behind a boulder. He slashed at Utsi with a sharp stone knife. Then, two other armed attackers appeared. Utsi drew his axe and adjusted his stance. He was in for the fight of his life. Utsi may have been outnumbered, but his opponents didn't stand a chance. The hunter was better nourished and more familiar with the terrain. For most of the battle, he kept the upper hand. His attackers did manage to strike a gash into Utsi's right hand. But ultimately, Utsi came out the victor. With his enemy dead, Utsi cleaned his knife in the snow and stopped the bleeding on his own hand. But it would never have a chance to heal fully. Thousands of years later, scientists would examine the wound to determine how he'd spent his final days. But in the moment, Utsi was focused on staying alive. Although he didn't see more attackers, he retreated down the mountain just to be safe. As he descended, hornbeam trees dominated the landscape. The snow melted away, giving way to grass and lush growth as his trek flattened out into the Schnallstall Valley. Utsi followed subtle paths through the trees, picking up his pace. He was excited to meet up with a fellow hunter. We'll call him Tio. Utsi breathed a sigh of relief when he finally laid eyes on his ally. He was glad to find that Tio hadn't also sustained an attack. In his friend's company, Utsi could finally relax. 
Tio greeted Utsi and helped tend to his wounds. He respected the hunter and may have even considered him a powerful leader. After all, Utsi bore physical signs of his status right on his skin. Over the years, other members of Utsi's community had adorned his body with over 60 tattoos. They scored very thin slits into his skin, then scrubbed charcoal over them. Most of the scars were simple black shapes, like plus signs or tally marks. But these symbols had a purpose beyond decoration. See, Utsi suffered from stiff, swollen joints. He probably didn't know it, but this discomfort was caused by Lyme disease, a bacterial infection spread by ticks. The marks were on Utsi's ankles, wrists, knees, and lower back, areas often targeted during modern acupuncture treatments. Utsi's countrymen had tattooed him in order to heal his aching joints. Whether they provided relief or not, Utsi's numerous tallies and plus signs were symbols of his companions' love and respect for him, and perhaps their need for him. If he was too sore to hunt, the entire village would suffer. The tattoos weren't the only sign of Utsi's importance to his people. He always carried what was likely one of the community's most valuable prized possessions, his copper axe. In Utsi's time, around 3300 BCE, manipulating molten metal was a very new technology. In fact, prior to the discovery of Utsi's remains and possessions, scholars didn't think that Utsi's people even knew how to smelt copper. Wielding a copper axe was like possessing the nuclear codes. His community trusted him with the most powerful and advanced weapon available. That weapon and the man who wielded it likely contained a massive, almost mystical power. Together, they could wreak more destruction than any other armed man in their known history. But right now, Utsi forgot about all that power. In the company of a friend, he had no reason to be preoccupied with his weapon. As he ate and slept, the axe probably laid in the snow. After the rejuvenating rest and refuel, Utsi and Tio were ready to resume the hunt as a team. Together, they headed back up the mountain. Again, they passed through the hornbeam trees and into the conifers that dominated the higher elevations. These prehistoric men didn't know it, but whenever they ate, they ingested microscopic pollen from those trees. Thousands of years later, scientists extracted that pollen in order to track exactly where Utsi walked with Tio. There was something else Utsi didn't know. This was his last day on Earth. After a long and successful morning of hunting, Utsi and Tio treated themselves to a hearty lunch. They roasted some of the mountain goat they'd caught and cooked the wheat they'd carried from the fields below. They both enjoyed themselves, pleased to have companionship and nourishing food. After the meal, they decided to see if their luck would continue. They headed farther up the mountain. Utsi kept his eyes peeled for a dark ibex against the white snow. He paused a moment, a few steps ahead of Tio. But suddenly, Utsi felt a strange pressure in his shoulder. It grew, blossoming into an agonizing throb. He gasped, more out of surprise than from pain. He turned fast enough to see his trusted companion lowering his bow. Utsi's friend had just shot him in the back. 
Utsi stumbled forward a few steps, but he could tell the wound was deep. The arrowhead had lodged in the subclavian artery, a large blood vessel that funnels blood to the upper body. Utsi only had a few minutes before he bled to death. Lightheaded, he collapsed in the snow, hitting his head on a rock. As life drained out of him, Utsi's final thoughts were probably of disbelief. He trusted Tio. Perhaps, as he took his last breath, Utsi absorbed the enormity of his friend's betrayal and died wishing for revenge. Once Tio was certain Utsi was dead, he approached the body. We'll never know exactly why Tio killed Utsi. It's possible that he wanted to seize Utsi's leadership role in the community. Maybe he was in love with the hunter's wife. Perhaps he was just settling a petty disagreement. Whatever his reason, he wrenched the arrow out of Utsi, but only the shaft came out. He cursed. Arrowheads were valuable and difficult to make. Because he couldn't retrieve it, Tio pilfered Utsi's quiver, removing all the useful arrows. He left behind several shafts that Utsi hadn't fitted with arrowheads. Next, the traitorous killer looked through the rest of Utsi's possessions. His knife, his backpack, which contained some berries and maple leaves, and a leather pouch around his waist. He removed a few other useful items, but left most of it behind. Finally... Tio picked up Utsi's prized possession, the copper axe. It felt powerful and heavy in his hand. He took a few practice swings. He wanted to keep the axe for himself, wield its power. But instead, Tio laid it down in the snow next to his victim. Keeping the axe was too risky. If he returned to the settlement with it, everyone would know that he'd killed Utsi. He didn't want that on his name. But Tio had no idea that his actions would have a ripple effect far beyond himself. Today, many believe that Utsi's murder enacted a curse, one that would fester inside Utsi's mummifying remains for thousands of years, until an unsuspecting forensic pathologist awakened it in 1991. Coming up, how Utsi's 5,000-year-old homicide manifested a modern-day curse. Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional-level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Now back to the story. Dated to around 3300 BCE, Utsi the Iceman is the oldest naturally preserved, fully intact mummy on the planet. 
But his age isn't the only amazing thing about him. The mountaintop betrayal also makes Utsi a candidate for the oldest cold case murder in history. Perhaps the alleged curse comes from a multi-millennia grudge and a long-simmering need for revenge. Certainly, the circumstances of Utsi's homicide meet the criteria for unfinished business. Not only was Utsi murdered, but the data suggests he could have been murdered by someone he trusted, who then covered up the crime. Given the big meal Utsi consumed only hours before his death, scientists conclude that he was at ease before his homicide, not on the run from enemies. The clean removal of the arrow shaft from Utsi's back suggests that the murderer wanted to disguise his sin. Perhaps the killer's bad karma caught up with him in the form of a millennia-long curse. The circumstances of Utsi's mummification suggest that some karmic force ensured his spirit got to stick around and seek revenge. First, Utsi died on an extremely remote ridge. That desolate area prevented the disruption of his crime scene. For thousands of years, his body rested on top of a glacier that continuously moved down the mountain at about 100 feet a year. If he'd walked a few steps further before his murder, the glacier would have swept Utsi's body downward, slowly crushing it to bits. But Utsi fell amongst a collection of large boulders. These rocks were too large to be moved. Instead, they acted like a break in a river of ice, allowing the glacier to flow around them while protecting Utsi's body. Because the corpse remained so stationary, the natural, cold, dry conditions of the Alps interrupted the typical decomposition processes. The low temperatures kept putrefying bacteria from breaking down Utsi's flesh. Simultaneously, the sun and wind worked in tandem to remove moisture from the body. At some point after the corpse dried out, the space between the rocks filled with about 10 feet of ice and snow. This frozen layer provided additional protection for Utsi, a kind of temporary tomb that ensured his body's survival until the proper moment. If Utsi had fallen 50 feet in either direction, his corpse would not have been preserved. But something, be it pure luck or cosmic justice, stepped in to make sure that Utsi's remains were safeguarded. The unlikely circumstances of Utsi's preservation play right into the narrative of an intermillennia revenge story. But if Utsi is out to repay his murder, or even his murderer's descendants, why did his curse affect researchers and scientists? Ostensibly, these are the people working hardest to solve Utsi's homicide. However, a deeper look into each alleged curse victim suggests that there may still be a connection between them and Utsi's killer. Presumably, the traitor benefited from Utsi's death in some way. And once the Iceman's remains were discovered, hundreds, even thousands more people also profited from his unjust demise. In a way, the ongoing study of Utsi's corpse is like he's being murdered all over again. Except this time, instead of one man, thousands revel in Utsi's assassination. The best evidence to support this theory is the timing of each death that's been tied to the curse. Some who believe in the curse argue that one by one, 
the seven casualties came just before or just after the victim's career reached a peak. The first presumed victim, forensic pathologist Dr. Reiner Henn, received accolades for his work with Utsi. Dr. Henn's firsthand experience with the mummy was completely unique. He was the man who removed Utsi from his icy grave. And Dr. Henn wasn't on his way to just any conference when he suffered a fatal car accident. He was about to give a lecture on Utsi. Perhaps the mummy couldn't stand that Dr. Hen was receiving praise for disturbing his remains. The presumed second victim, mountaineer Kurt Fritz, helped manage the logistics of removing Utsi from the mountain safely and efficiently. It's not clear how Fritz directly benefited from his role in Utsi's recovery, but he surely enjoyed some acclaim for his involvement in such an unusual mission. There's a tragic element to Fritz's death that is hard to ignore. He perished in a surprise avalanche, doing the very thing that had brought him to Utsi in the first place, going on a hiking expedition. Although Fritz was an extremely experienced outdoorsman and familiar with the region, he was the only member of the group who perished. It's almost as if the environment itself reared up and destroyed the man who'd removed Utsi from its care. The curse took journalist Reiner Holzel next. Holzel caught Utsi's removal on videotape and used the footage to create a documentary. He introduced Utsi to the world at large, ensuring that ordinary laypeople could ogle at the miserable dead man. But Holzel barely survived long enough to see his footage air on television. He had developed a fatal brain tumor that would soon take his life. Unlike Holzel, most of the other alleged curse victims died relatively quickly. By some accounts, which have been condemned by families of the deceased, the man who first broadcast Utsi's remains to a wider audience had to suffer before the curse killed him. Next, the curse struck Helmut Simon, the German hiker who'd originally found Utsi. Simon had always resented that he never received any monetary compensation for his discovery. After all, Utsi's remains brought in millions of dollars to the South Tyrol Museum in Bolzano, Italy. The mummy is still on display there whenever he's not in the lab. Simon insisted for years that his family deserved to share in the profits. Finally, around 2004, Italian courts granted him a settlement totaling 34,000 pounds. That's worth about 70,000 US dollars today. Ecstatic to finally receive the compensation, Simon is said to have celebrated with a hiking trip to the Alps. Of course, he never got a chance to enjoy the money. During that trip, Simon plummeted 300 feet to his death. The next victim, Dieter Varnica, retrieved Simon's body from the bottom of an icy cliff. Varnica probably didn't receive media attention for most of his search and rescue missions, but Simon's death received significant coverage. He was a bit of a celebrity, and Varnica got his own 15 minutes of fame by proxy. But he hardly got to relish that moment in the spotlight, because just a few hours after attending Simon's funeral, Varnica succumbed to a sudden heart attack. 
It's worth noting that Varnica provided Simon with the rescue and proper burial that the mummy never received. Perhaps Utsi couldn't stand seeing the man who'd pried him from his icy resting place treated with so much more respect. The next victim, archaeologist Conrad Spindler, studied Utsi at the University of Innsbruck. He formed a couple of the initial theories about the Iceman and his death. Spindler also published one of the first books on Utsi. For years, he enjoyed the status of being the go-to expert on the mummy. Like Holzl, Spindler's crime seems to have been sensationalizing Utsi's death and discovery. And because Spindler spread the news worldwide, it makes sense that some would suggest he is the other cursed victim who suffered a long, painful death. Multiple sclerosis, a disease that was all too real for those close to Spindler, plagued him for years before he passed away. The curse's final victim was molecular archaeologist Dr. Tom Loy. Dr. Loy discovered traces of blood on Utsi and his possessions. Then, he determined that the bodily fluid had come from four different people. This finding reinforced the theory that Utsi had died violently. In a strange twist of fate, soon after he began studying Utsi, doctors diagnosed Dr. Loy with a blood disorder. Like so many other victims, Dr. Loy was about to garner acclaim and recognition just before his death. He wrote a book on his findings, but it seems he never finished it. And as we mentioned before, investigators were unable to determine his cause of death. But if the disorder had anything to do with it, then blood, the very thing that brought him accolades and career success, ultimately betrayed him. Of course, there are skeptics who claim that these tragedies are merely a coincidence. Statistically, seven deaths are insignificant compared to the sheer number of people who have benefited from Utsi's discovery. It's impossible to say how many people should have been struck by the curse but weren't. Considering the number of research assistants, museum employees, laboratory technicians, publishers, and academics who have all had a hand in the mummy's preservation and research, the number could reasonably be in the tens of thousands. With that in mind, Seven people only represent a tiny percentage of all the people who should be targets. Plus, the deaths of the so-called curse victims aren't consistent. Some of them died by accident, and others of natural causes. In particular, Conrad Spindler's death from multiple sclerosis feels less like cosmic justice and more like an illness running its devastating course. It's also important to consider where the theory of the curse first emerged, the media. An evil mummy is salacious and attention-grabbing, key ingredients to selling papers. Another reason to doubt the stories about a curse is the fact that deaths have apparently stopped since 2005. Since then, research into Utsi has continued and even expanded. However, there might be a good reason that the curse lifted in 2005. Before then, many researchers speculated that Utsi had died of natural causes. The leading theory was that he perished on that high ridge after becoming disoriented in a storm. As we now know, the story of Utsi's death was being told all wrong. 
This became clear in 2005 when a radiologist finally noticed something odd on Utzi's CT scan. It had to do with the arrowhead in his shoulder, which was first discovered in 2001. Upon closer examination, it was determined that the arrowhead had severed an artery, meaning it was most likely the direct cause of Utzi's death. After that, researchers didn't only benefit from Utzi's death, they told his real story. And perhaps, once the world knew about Utzi's betrayal on that mountain peak, the curse was broken. Utzi could finally rest in peace. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back Thursday with a new episode. For more information on Utsi the Iceman, amongst the many sources we used, we found the PBS Nova documentary, Iceman Murder Mystery, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you Thursday. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Hannah McIntosh, with writing assistance by Ali Wicker, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Hang a horseshoe above your door, keep a rabbit's foot in your pocket, and follow Superstitions free on Spotify. Listen every Wednesday for the surprising backstories to our most curious beliefs and thrilling tales that illuminate the mystical eeriness of our favorite superstitions. 